Hello, everybody. We're back with the seventh episode of the Hubscale podcast. This week's guest is Dave Jerry of Book Crowd, a leader in crowdsource security. He was a customer, a partner, and an advisor before stepping into the newly created Chief Operating Officer role with Book Crowd. He spent nearly a decade in application security, leading multiple acquisitions and rising up the ranks from an RSM back in 2015 to the CRO and COO in 2019. Dave, it's brilliant to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This will be fun. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. So I guess just kind of an introduction to yourself then, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. So Dave Gary, I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at Bug Crowd. So I've spent most of my career within the cybersecurity space and have had the, the great pleasure and opportunity to work in some really fantastic businesses. And as you talked about, had an opportunity to play roles in multiple acquisitions uh, over my time at White Hat and had opportunities to work within some really high growth startups, Bug Crowd being one of those. Uh, and it's been a really fantastic run so far and excited for for what's going to continue here during my uh, my tenure here at Bug Crowd. Yeah, for sure. So for everybody listening who might not know Bug Crowd, I'm sure everybody does, but uh, could you just describe what's your mission? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we are a leading crowdsource security testing platform. So what that means is we pair our paying enterprise customers with this amazing community of security researchers. So if you think about our business, we pair the best and brightest from an ethical hacking standpoint with customers that are looking to truly transform their security programs and become more secure. So we started off in the bug bounty space, right? So what that means is companies are setting up effectively a come hack me program, right? Where customers put their business out there and, and ethical hackers and researchers come in and they they ethically disclose vulnerabilities to the clients in return for a bounty payment, right? A bug bounty. And over the past few years, we've transformed this business from just being a bug bounty focused business to one that also has attack surface management. So giving customers visibility into what is their portfolio that's out there in the wild? What is that potential attack surface that malicious hackers could potentially break into? Uh, we're doing things like vulnerability disclosure programs. So we're running some really fantastic programs. You may have seen recently that we were just awarded a contract with the Department of Homeland Security to continue helping them on their journey around bug bounty and, and crowdsource security testing. We're also doing pen testing, right? Pen testing is a business that has been fairly commoditized and fairly stagnant for a long time. So we're starting to infuse a bit more of that startup culture and disrupting the pen testing space. And we do that by, again, pairing this fantastic group of security researchers to specific projects that are exactly what they specialize in, right? So instead of getting a generic researcher to come in and do a test as, as other companies may do, we have this amazing workforce as a service platform that actually pairs the right researcher at the right time with the right program to make sure that our customers are, are getting the maximum results back from, from the, the value that they're placing and, and the trust that they're placing in BugCrowd. No, for sure. It sounds um, it sounds a very exciting company, and I'm, I'm I'm sure we'll dive into some of the details of why you joined there yeah. later on. But uh, but yeah, no, I can imagine it's been an exciting couple of months. It has, it has. So I joined the business uh, just over two months ago, and it's been a it's been a bit of a wild ride so far. So excited to see where we take this in the next twelve months. We're doing a ton of hiring. Uh, we, we've got 15, 16 open recs right now. We just brought on a new CFO this week. So a gentleman that I've had the pleasure of working with before, Bob Ticini, he joined us on Monday. 
uh, and really excited to kind of finish out this year strong. We're heading into our Q4 here in about a month. So we're going to wrap up Q3. Uh, and then we have a, a strong FY24 ahead of us next year. Awesome. No, it's uh, very, very exciting times indeed. Very exciting. Um, so yeah. I know we're, we're going to dive into a lot of topics today, Dave. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about some of these because the listeners that I've got as well actually sometimes ask me specifically what about some of the stuff we're going to run through. So I do want to take it back slightly, though, because um, your career is slightly unique into what I've seen in the market. I mean, you was an RSM back yep. in 2015, and you've had a really crazy journey over the past few years. So I want to just kind of dive into that a little bit from you, from from maybe the RSM days moving up the ranks. Sure. Yeah, I, I think where I'd start, I've been incredibly blessed throughout my career. I've had fantastic mentors. I've had fantastic folks that have helped me hone my craft right coming in from the the sales side and learning how to be a great sales professional you know oftentimes i think salespeople we we put ourselves in this box right we're salespeople and and sometimes that has a negative connotation right you, you think back to the days of a, a used car salesman right and people say oh you're a salesman you're just you're just trying to force me to do something or change how i do something when in reality this is a, a badge of honor that we need to wear right this is something that ultimately helps drive forward the goals and the mission of our businesses, right? And doing it in a way that you are truly being a trusted advisor to your clients, right? One that you are truly there to help. Yes, you're trying to fulfill the mission of your business, but you're doing that by helping customers drive the outcomes in their business and being recognizing that that that's an important role that you play in their business as well, right? And this is something where uh, again, oftentimes people put themselves into this little bubble instead of just being proud of what we do, right? The way that I like to drive from a leader standpoint with my teams is we are the last line of defense, right? So this is where we are the ones standing between folks having a job and not having a job. And that's a big badge of responsibility and, and something that we need to wear proudly because that is something that if we're good at what we do and we do business the right way and we take care of our customers and we're driving forward uh, successful business outcomes for them, then the rest of it tends to take care of itself. So yeah, it's been an incredible journey. As I talked about, the, the, the mentor angle is something that I can't stress enough, right? Early in my career, I had folks like Dave Boyle and Jim Wilson uh, that kind of helped me learn what it means to be a professional salesperson and learn some of the process and the methodology and some of the things to to kind of grow in your career uh, all the way through White Hat and a number of really strong folks at White Hat. When, when I joined the CRO at the time, a guy named Matt Handler helped me kind of learn what does it mean to become a leader and, and learn some of those pieces with Craig Hinckley, our CEO and others. So had a really strong group of folks that, that helped me along on this journey, but Ultimately, yeah, it's been a very quick run. It's it's been a lot of fun to uh, to be a part of it, obviously to live through it. Um, but yeah, it is it is always fun to kind of take a step back and look at okay, it's been coming up here very quickly on on ten plus years within the application security space. It's a space obviously I, I enjoy and I want to spend time in. Uh, so yeah, I'll, yeah, it's been it's been a great journey. For sure. For sure. And I know you touched on a point there, but I've discussed this on a couple of podcasts previously around mentors. If you can just touch on that quickly and for the listeners out there, because people obviously who are listening to this want to climb up the ranks and, and maybe obviously even do what you've done, move into a CRO position and, and the leadership style. But how can you find mentors and ones that are actually going to help you to, to progress in your career? 
Yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, for me, it's it's fairly simple, right? You watch the people that are successful, you watch the people that are doing really well, and you ask for help, right? This no, oftentimes the the folks that are most successful are going to be the ones that are most willing to pass some of that knowledge back down, um, and to bring people along with them on their journey because most folks that have been really successful have had great mentors, right? And it's a it's a bit of a pay it back model, right? I, nothing nothing is more fun to me than when I have SDRs or sales reps that demand to get time on my calendar because they want help, right? And they're coming prepared with questions and they're saying, hey, how would you think about this? I'm dealing with this particular customer issue or this particular uh, business issue. What would you do in this instance, right? And And that's where I think at the end of the day, we're all human beings, right? And we all need to help each other. We all need to help bring each other up. And this is a good opportunity for, as you go through your career, find who's successful, ask them for help, but also don't forget that as you're receiving that help, you also have to be giving that help to the next generation of leaders that are coming up behind you. Yeah. No, no, I love it. Yeah, that's come across, of course, uh, like I said, a couple of podcasts, and it's really interesting to hear, hear different types of uh different types of answers. Yeah. So no, appreciate that. I appreciate it. And um, so now obviously when you, you moved into uh, White Hat, obviously you rose up the ranks through White Hat again, um, two acquisitions, one from NTT, one from Synopsis. Yeah. I really want to dive into you. You must have learned so much through both of these processes um, as well. And you're also, yes. yeah, so it would just be great to understand a little bit. What are your key takeaways from all of that? Yeah, so maybe a good starting point is a little bit about what what did the White Hat business look like uh, back in 2017 when I got there and a number of other folks got there. And again, I think this is where it's important to realize that you're part of a team, right? When you come into these businesses, there is no single hero. There is no one person that's going to solve all of these challenges. It's about the team that you build around you and the team that you participate in. And when we all first got to the White Hat business, it was a business that wasn't growing. It was a business that was struggling with customer retention. It was a business that was burning cash. Uh, and we really very quickly had to make some key changes and really start to think about the business and the go-to-market model and the business model in a different way. And throughout that process, over the course of the first year, we started to see some repeatability in the business, right? And this is something you'll probably hear me talk about a lot, which is around the predictability and the repeatability of the revenue engine and, and the go-to-market model. And as we started to show success in our go-to-market, where we started to show, hey, we can call a number and actually hit the number, right? Kind of table stakes, right? You can, you can give a forecast, you can hit your forecast, and you start to build up that track record of credibility, both with the board, but also with external folks that are keeping an eye on the business about a year, year and a half in, we decided with the board's approval that, okay, it was time to start a strategic process, right? We had built the business up enough where we felt it was the right time for us in, in order to continue scaling the business. And again, coming into these companies is never just about selling the business, right? That's not the outcome we're trying to drive. What we're trying to drive is building a lasting company that provides value to the market, that is a great place to work for our employees, that's an amazing partner to all of the different alliances and, and channel partners that we have. Uh, and about 18 months into that run, the determination was made that, you know, for us to continue to scale, for us to get the investment dollars that we need, we need to go out and run a strategic process. So at that point in time, we started working with uh, some great investment bankers, started to go out to the market. We talked to a lot of the 
financial buyers and and they were a bit more skeptical at the time because again we had just kind of come out of this turnaround we're still in the midst of really starting to fix some of the things that were fundamentally broken in the business we didn't have the years and years of track record that a typical financial buyer is looking for so uh, it very quickly became clear that it would be a strategic buyer that ultimately would would kind of rise to the top and that's where ntt really saw value in the business right they saw the ability to take this company that had growth that was profitable and that they could plug into their global go-to-market that they could start to uh leverage across their ten thousand plus sellers right across all of the different ntt brands and companies uh, and have an opportunity to bring something to market that their customers were asking for Right. They were doing kind of traditional pen testing. They were doing traditional security assessments. They didn't have the SaaS platform. They didn't have the automated testing. They didn't have a true application security product to bring to market. And they wanted to transform from just being a services company to being a product led company. And that gave us the opportunity to position White Hat to show the great work that we had done that ultimately led in a really successful outcome with NTT in July of 2019. Uh, and that was kind of the first exit that we saw at Whitehead and, and kind of what ultimately set us up for the final uh, final exit here to Synopsis in June of this year. Yeah, that was, uh, it's so cool. And going through two um, acquisitions within the same company as well, I can, uh, yeah, can imagine how crazy that was. Um, so I guess uh, I just want to touch on something you mentioned there about predictability. I remember you and I talking, it must have been nearly two years ago, um, and we was talking yeah. about the... The predictability of the business that uh, with white hat back then i think it was 99 percent forecast rate or something crazy along those lines that you was running yeah how do you get to that point because i know a lot of companies can't get to that point and so how do you get to that point the amount of rigor that it takes to get you to that point is something that is a true cultural shift right so this is more than just sales process right i'm a medic guy so i know a lot of the folks you deal with are medic companies as well right this is kind of the the new cool thing right and i like to say we were doing medic before medic was cool uh but we had some really great folks that we brought into the business right jack napoli is kind of the the godfather of medic right we had him come in and train the teams early on and as we started to transform the culture of the business and driving a business of accountability and a, a culture of accountability it really comes down to you, you know, there's this old saying, you inspect what you expect. And that is true, right? It is getting visibility into the deals, having sales leaders that are capable of diving in that have kind of those top rep credentials, right? Where they can drive credibility with their sellers, they can change business behavior, they can change the culture within their teams. And having those leaders in place makes it a lot easier to get to that point, right? So I had about a five and a half year or so run at White Hat. Our forecast accuracy during that period was about 99.8%. So starting quarter forecast to actual finish. Uh, plan attainment during that time was a little under 96%. So we don't always love the number that's being rolled up, but this is ultimately the reputation of the business, right? This is where we get the credibility with our board, with our employees, with our investors, with customers, where they see, okay, this is going to be a lasting business. And as you start to get into that cadence, it becomes an expectation, right? We're going to roll up a number that allows us to then take, and especially when we can trust that number, the defensive actions to protect the business, right? So as we all just lived through over the last two and a half, almost three years now with COVID, 
having a forecast that you believe in allows you to take the defensive actions you need to protect the company and protect the employees first and foremost. And one of the things I'm most proud about during our time at White Hat was we never had to do a reduction in force. We called down our bookings number. We cut expenses where we could. Some of the the event type spending or maybe net new hiring, we cut those, but we protected our population of 330, 340 employees throughout the entire uh, pandemic. And we did that because we could actually trust the numbers that we have. Now, the flip side and the fun side of this conversation is when you know you're going to beat the number, you have confidence you're going to beat the number. Now you can take the offensive actions to go scale and grow the business even faster, right? And understanding what are those levers for growth, right? Oftentimes people equate scale to hiring. Oh, I added 50 headcount. That means I'm scaling. No, that means you're hiring, right? You're growing your employee population. That doesn't mean scale, right? Scale is about how do you do more with less? Right. What are the different levers of growth that you can pull with the same team and the same group of people to ultimately help scale the business in a more efficient way? Um, so, yeah, forecast accuracy for me is an, is a critical one, because, again, I've lived through periods of time where you, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. And the one thing that you can control is what are we going to do? What are we going to go execute on? And ultimately, how are we going to protect and grow this business? Yeah. No, I honestly, I love that. And even the way you described it, I can tell how much passion you are into that situation as well. I love yeah. it. Um, so, and it also reminds me of uh, John McMahon, the qualified sales leader. He talks about that right at the beginning of the totally. book. Um, yep. Having everything kind of down to a methodology. No, I, I love it. Um, so I guess just stepping up into uh, the next question. So you was the CRO and the COO. I know we've talked to you a little bit about the kind of the role there, but what is it like running yeah. both of the, the kind of the key pillars of an organization? Yeah, it's fantastic. So one of the reasons we structured that way is that we could align every single piece of the customer journey under one organization. So from the first time we market to you uh, from a, a marketing or demand gen or an awareness standpoint, all the way through the first time a salesperson talks to a customer, that handoff from, okay, great, you want to become a customer. And now how do we service this account and this customer in the best possible way to drive value? We have that handoff. We then have the handoff into the delivery teams to make sure that we're providing value throughout that customer lifecycle. And it gives us the ability to have that end-to-end -end customer journey where there's interlocks between all of the leaders, right? So a great example is your customer success leader also carries an upsell and cross-sell number. Well, guess what? At White Hat, she also ran our delivery function. So if she wasn't providing a phenomenal onboarding experience for our clients, she's ultimately not going to drive her upsell, cross-sell, and then ultimately the end goal of the renewal of that customer, right? The sales leader also carries the renewal number. So if we're not selling the right thing and positioning the right thing to the client up front, they're ultimately going to hurt themselves because you're not going to get that renewal a year, two years, three years down the line. So you start to create these interlocks across that customer lifecycle where you have the ability to Again, it's all about these levers, right? What are the different levers that we can pull across the business to ensure that one, the customer that has trusted us, especially in the security space, right? I, I view this as we need to be good stewards of the trust that they've placed in us. So that means delivering value. That means driving the right outcomes. That doesn't mean we're just there for another PO, right? I can't tell you how many times we partnered with customers without a PO in place, right? Because they're in a, a dark moment, right? They have a security incident or they think they have a security incident. They need some help. 
we're going to rally around them, right? Bug Crowd is a very similar culture, right? We rally around our customers. We're in it with our customers. And that's a really important thing that I think a lot of security vendors miss is that, okay, great. I'm happy to help. We'll give you all the resources you need. Just give me the PO first. Well, that's not how this works, right? Oftentimes those hours and minutes and days between the time when they reach out and the time they need help, that makes a big difference in terms of what the outcome is for them. So really rallying around this with your client and having that end-to-end customer journey and all those teams consolidated allows us to pull the best and brightest out of those organizations and, and start to consolidate that around the customer. Yeah. And it's, um, it, it drives accountability about accountability as well, doesn't it? When you, everybody knows what they're doing. And, exactly. Yeah. No, I love it a lot. And um, so it's, it what? starts to, it starts to break down. I don't mean to interrupt, but it starts to break down those silos that start to exist. Yeah. Right. Those tensions that exist. Well, Oh, sales. Yeah, here they go again. They just tossed me this customer that has expectations that are totally mismatched with what we thought we were going to deliver, right? It breaks all that down because now it's one organization that's responsible for it, right? So we need to make sure that as that handoff, that's going as seamless as possible, that the customer understands what they're buying. We understand what we're going to be delivering. Uh, And that's a really important thing, especially as you look to scale these businesses to 100 million plus. Yeah. No, for sure. No, I can I can fully imagine and really, really great kind of explanation there again that you've gone through. Um, so I want to dive into kind of a, an interesting question. So two uh, times uh, with White Hat, you've gone through acquisitions. You probably made a lot of kind of uh, situation off the back of that. Why did you join Bug Crowd? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so coming out of the acquisition here in June, uh, there, there were a lot of great opportunities, right? As you know, you and I talked about a number of different opportunities that you were working on. There were a lot of things out there in the market. And there is a bit of this aura around, oh, you've had two exits, right? Well, yes, and that's great. And I've uh, again, as I said, I've been blessed where I, I've had some really good outcomes. And for me, I wanted to find a business where there were a couple key pillars and I've always been a startup guy. I think I'm always going to be a startup guy, right? I love coming into businesses and helping build the foundation and the building blocks for scale. So for me, going into a business that is a hundred million, 200 million, $300 million and helping it get to 300, 500 a billion uh, someday. But right now I really enjoy building the smaller companies and getting them to that hundred million mark. So when I started looking uh, as you mentioned, I had an opportunity with Bug Crowd where they were a big customer of ours um, at, at, or we, rather, we were a big customer of theirs at at White Hat. Uh, I think I was their first million dollar customer a few years ago. We we did a lot of subcontracting with Bug Crowd, and we we resold. We'd go to market partnerships. Uh, I had an opportunity to join as an advisor, so I had a good familiarity with the business. Obviously, being in the application security space, I had a good understanding of the market and the market opportunity that that was facing us here, right? So as I started to look at the, the different pillars that are important to me, the market opportunity was tremendous, right? This is a market that's growing really fast and, and Bug Crowd is a company that's growing really fast, right? So they've shown an ability to execute against that market opportunity. They have a fantastic group of employees, both from a researcher standpoint, right? So if you think about our business, we almost have two separate customer cohorts. We have the paying enterprise customers, and then we have our researcher community. 
And without those two, the, this whole thing starts to, to fall apart, right? You need an amazing group of ethical researchers and ethical security experts and an amazing group of, of customers that want to tap into the collective intelligence of that crowd. And when I looked at their customer base, when I looked at their researcher base, the reputation and the brand awareness that this company has is fantastic. Uh, and again, I saw a tremendous opportunity to come in, help build some of the foundational pieces. And this one is certainly a lot further ahead than White Hat was when I got there. So I have the benefit of not having to fix nearly as much and really starting to, again, we're coming back to the levers, start to pull some of those different levers of growth to help us get to the scale that ultimately we want to get to. Yeah, no, no, it's really exciting, really exciting. And honestly, I've been yeah. keeping a close eye on Book Crowd for for a while and I've seen how much you guys are growing. And um, I think you guys, well, I was reading your uh, announcement when when it came online and it said that you guys have hit some crazy numbers in, in the quarter and that's why you hired you to really come in and, and generate that as yeah. well off the back of it. So no, it sounds really exciting. Yeah, our Q2, uh, so the quarter we just exited out of, that was our biggest quarter in company history. Right. So we're, we're showing that the teams can, again, getting into that predictability of we can call a number, we can hit a number, we can continue to scale. Uh, and again, you want every quarter to be the biggest quarter you've ever had. Right. And that's how this business works. That's how SaaS works in these subscription companies. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. Right. Every quarter has been better than the last. Every quarter is showing growth. Uh, our growth rates are far above market. Right. So if you look at application security as a whole, whether it's Gartner, whether it's Forrester, whether it's IDC, the market is growing somewhere around 12 to 15 percent. We're growing multiples of that. So we're seeing a tremendous amount of growth in the market. We're seeing a tremendous amount of demand and pull from our customers. Right. It's always fun when you get to work for a business where customers are pulling. Right. Yeah. They want what you're doing. They want you to help them come in and set up their programs. They're looking for disruption of these commoditized space versus trying to push something out the market. That's a lot harder, right? It can be done, but it's a lot harder to do. And Bug Crowd has a very unique opportunity in the market to capitalize on the amazing things that the teams have done up until this point and really start to position ourselves for that kind of rocket ship growth to 100 million plus. And then we'll see what happens at that 100 million mark, right? That's where things start to get exciting and there's a lot more options that start to get presented. Yeah, no, for sure. I can, um, I'm can. i going to sit and watch very, very closely as uh, as it all unfolds, Dave. But uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm excited even sitting from the outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be a fun ride. Good stuff, good stuff. So um, I'm going to switch it into a little bit more of my uh, space for a moment. Um, kind of talking sure. about hiring talent, as you know, hiring talent all over the world has its own problems, um, hence sometimes for needers for needs for recruiters like myself. Mm -hmm. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do you hire successful people? Uh, just tips and tricks throughout the throughout the space. That'd be great. Yeah, you know, oftentimes in security, there's this perception and we talk about, oh, there's this big talent gap within security. The reality is we have an enablement problem. Right. And one of the things that I think a lot of organizations, Bug Crowd, White Hat and others have started to tap into is that you can take folks that are early in their career. You can take entry level employees and give them the right levels of enablement, give them the right levels of training, give them that on the job training that's really hard to get and ultimately help transform them and their career into a security expert. 
right? We did this for a number of years, long before I ever got to White Hat. This was part of the culture there, right? Where we would go out and hire folks that had never done anything in technology and help coach them up, right? So I think that's that's one area where I think businesses need to do a better job is stop talking about this from a talent gap. Sure, we're all short on people. We all want to hire more people. We all would love to have that ideal profile that comes in that oh, I've done this 10 times and I just want to do it again. The reality is those folks are also advancing in their careers. They're looking to do more. They're looking to learn more. So by providing the opportunities for folks to grow in their career and to learn will give you the ability to tap into a whole other piece of the market that others are not looking at. I think as organizations, it's become more clear over the last three years. And, and frankly, this was something that we all should have acknowledged. And, and I think the good companies have done this for a long time, but a lot of businesses didn't where that the, the companies don't have the same power that maybe the perception was that they once did, right? The, the employee has the ability now to work from anywhere. Well, what does that mean? Now they can go work for whatever company they want to. Who's going to give them the best opportunity? Where are they going to feel a part of the culture how does the company handle things like DEI and having an inclusive environment for employees from all walks of life, right? Whether that's um, where they grow up, the school they went to, who they identify, it, it doesn't matter, right? We're looking for the best and brightest to help us push forward our mission. And that's a big change, right? That's where a lot of companies are going to struggle, right? We're, we're not going to be the business that starts to mandate you come to the office, Right. That, that's a simple one, but that's one that a lot of companies are starting to feel some pressure where, OK, we want everybody back in the office. That's not going to be the, the business model of the future. Right. There's going to be times I, I love nothing more than getting people together face to face. And there's a time and a place to do that. And I think a lot of employees and, and folks out there looking for roles are looking to be a part of something where they can interact in a face to face. And it's not just always over a Zoom. But at the same time, we also realize that that balance between a personal life and a professional life is one that's become a lot more blended. And it's it's you don't have that same distinction anymore, right? You don't have the days of jumping in a car, driving 40 minutes to the office and having that 40 minute ride back, right? It's how do I how do I start to blend my personal life and my professional life in a way that works on both sides, right? Where I'm not sacrificing on either side and I can start to have an environment where what we find is our employees flourish, right? I remember going through this at White Hat, our efficiency metrics, our productivity metrics, our growth, everything actually went up after we went fully remote, right? And this was something that at the time was new for us, right? We hadn't been a fully remote business. We'd always been very remote friendly, but we'd never been all remote all the time. Uh, and when we saw that, that actually was the indicator to us that, Okay, never again will we require anyone to come into the office, right? And I think Bug Crowd is a similar culture here, where in some cases, we've got offices all around the world, you can go in if you would like to, but we're not telling anyone that they have to go into the offices. Yeah, no, I think that's quite an important piece as well. I think there's, because some people do want to be around people all the time. And I, I myself, I do enjoy an office, but of course, I mean, we're only small business now. So, but um, I do yeah. like being around the people as well. But I think the healthy mixture of it actually brings out a lot more positive. I mean, the multiple businesses, most businesses actually saw an increase in productivity, effectiveness, and everything along those lines throughout COVID mm -hmm. as well, which is interesting that now everybody wants to go back to the office or claiming to go back to the office as well. So no, it's, um, it's, a, yeah. great, it's a great topic.
Yeah, it's about giving the employees choice, right? The choice of where do they want to work, the choice of where do they want to spend their time, the choice of where do they physically want to do their work, right? Some folks don't have an environment at home, right? We're, we're lucky where you've got a great office, I've got a great office, it's easy to do this from home. But there's a lot of folks that don't have that ability. So sometimes it's easier for them to get more done when they're in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it does come down to a personal choice for for the employees and, and businesses need to acknowledge that. And, and I think as, as we see this start to play out more over the next couple of years, I think that will become kind of the standard and the norm. And then I think the other piece around hiring is being realistic with um, expectations. Right. I mean, you and I have joked before about the entry level role where five years of experience for an entry level world, that's not an entry level role. That's you trying to pay entry level comp for somebody that's much more seasoned. Right. So I think businesses are getting better at acknowledging that just because there was a layoff somewhere, that doesn't mean you get to lowball an employee. Right. You still have to pay market wages. You still have to move quickly through a process. You still have to uh, put your best foot forward to recruit every single employee that comes as a potential candidate for you, right? The days of just hiring are no longer there where you can put somebody through an eight step or 15 step process. You need to move quickly. You need to have a competitive offer. You need to be able to articulate what is the mission that you're driving forward from a business standpoint? How are you helping uh, the the greater society, right? The, the, again, especially as we start to look at the younger generation coming up, right? These folks are really concerned around social consciousness. They're really worried about how are we helping society as a whole and what are the things that we're doing to kind of put good back into the world. And, and I think that's where we need to have all of our hiring managers, all of our recruiters, everyone ready and audible ready to talk through that. And I think that's one of the things that I really love about Bug Crowd is that we have an opportunity where we actually get to talk about the amazing things we're doing. We get to talk about the amazing customers that we're working with uh, and some of the the efforts that we're driving forward. And ultimately, cybersecurity and especially hacking is something that people enjoy talking about. They They see it on the news. They see ransomware, they see breaches at major companies. So helping be able to explain that in a really simple way and say, you get to be a part of the mission. And it's the old uh, good versus bad, right? You get to be on the good team, right? You get to help us kind of secure the the digital assets across the world. That's something that's a really powerful mission to ask people to sign up for. Yeah, no, for sure. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into that about kind of attracting people to Bug Crowd as well. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that. How are you going to uh, attract? I know you're hiring a lot right now as well, but what's the what's the plans for yeah. attracting people? Yeah, so there's a lot. Uh, I, I think when you look at hiring for me, right, people, especially high performers, they want to go work with a group of high performers. Right. So ensuring that you have the right culture of accountability, that you have a culture of fun, that you have a culture of you work hard, you play hard, you have some fun along the way. That's really important to, to kind of think about as you as you operate the, today's business environment. And when we look at attracting talent, it's the career opportunity. It's the opportunity to be part of a bigger mission. It's the opportunity to join a company that's growing really fast, that has phenomenal investors behind it. So you have the stability, but you also have the upside, right? Come in, join us at this stage. And then when we get to 100 million, 200 million, $300 million in in revenue, 
you have an opportunity to participate as you go through that, right? Every one of our employees are owners of this business. And that's an important thing, right? One of our core values is build it like you own it. Yeah. Because that is true, right? We all own this business. We all own the outcome for this business. And again, I think it's about being able to talk about the company and and be excited about it, right? And, and people feed off the passion that they can feel from somebody who's interviewing them, right? Is it somebody that truly wants to be there, that's really excited for what the company is doing, or somebody going through the motions, right? You can sense that as you talk to people. And that's been a really big uh, hiring factor for us. It was one of the things that drove me here, right? Talking with the teams, understanding the business, seeing how excited they all were, seeing how they were thinking about the market opportunity in front of them, and also asking, hey, this is where we need help. This is where you could come in and help, right? And being able to articulate that is a really important part of recruiting. But again, you you do this on a daily basis. So I'd love to hear from you too. Like, what are we not doing that we should be thinking about? Yeah, for sure. Well, it's um, it's just that at the time as well right now, I think what you mentioned earlier about having the interview process um, because each of these companies that are still hiring, because there is companies still out there aggressively hiring as well, like Bookcrowd, for example, um, sometimes I have to coach companies, large companies, small companies on the hiring process, uh, still attracting the, the right compensation with RSUs or, or equity or anything along those yeah. lines. And really being brought into a mission together as well. Because if you have a long-winded interview process of 15 calls, by the by the tenth one, they're just bored and they've they've just gone they've just gone yeah. So it's about having a short, snappy, very relevant process. Um, as well mm-hmm. as obviously driving uh driving the engagement through it as well, in terms of just documents or information that you can send out. And and when you get to the offer as well, like you mentioned, keep it really what they're worth rather than not what the market is paying sometimes or what the market is perceived to be paying. So yeah, no, that's, that's my advice. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great advice. I mean, I think it all comes back to communication, right? How are you communicating? Are you keeping them updated through the process? Do they feel a buy-in to that process, right? And getting them excited along the way, where again, going back to what we talked about with customers pulling, we want candidates pulling, right? We want candidates banging down the door trying to get in here. And, and that's ultimately the culture that we want to drive. Yeah. And just um, just a note on that as well, even with external recruiters, I think you need to um, include myself, but you need to uh, really drive um, the in- external recruiters, sorry, as well, because once they're, if they're keeping up to date with the candidates, driving the hiring managers as well to get back to the candidates and really being that counterpart between the candidate and the mm-hmm. client, driving both ends, then that also creates a more energetic process as well. Look at me getting excited over exactly it. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I like it. See the passion. Yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting. So we've not got a we've not got a couple, only a couple of questions left. Sorry, um, but one of the ones I wanted to talk to you about, which um, because obviously we've already kind of gone through it in terms of the metrics and medic and everything along those lines. But how can you drive a high performance in the culture? I know we've talked on a lot of that already, but just uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about more more about that. So. Winners want to win. So bringing in that right profile of somebody that that wants to be a winner, that has a competitive drive. And this isn't just about hiring people that were athletes, right? That that to me is a bit of an outdated way of thinking where, okay, they were an athlete, so they're going to be competitive. Yeah. There's a lot of competitive people that have never played sports in their life, right? And And starting to tap into what motivates them, right? What motivates them, especially when we're talking about sales, what motivates them above comp, 
right? There's going to be highs and there's going to be lows in sales. There's going to be months where you're making an amazing commission check and months where you're not making a commission check. And there needs to be something that drives you, right? There needs to be a little bit of that chip on their shoulder. There needs to be something that's going to push them forward when times are tough, right? When business isn't going the way they want. It needs to be somebody that has an understanding of process and methodology. I don't, when, when we're hiring, I, I don't care if you know our process, our methodology. We can help you learn that. What I care about is do you operate in an environment where – your personal life, your professional life, you you have order around that, right? That's what we're looking for. We're looking for folks that can come in, that can be strong members of the team that want to work collaboratively, that want to get excited around what we do, what they do day to day. And as you start thinking about building that culture of, of winning, winners also want to be around winners, right? They want to be around people that have done this before. They, they, they want a culture of accountability where you're holding everyone, yourself included, you're holding everyone accountable to the goals that you set for yourself, right? Nothing is going to demotivate employees faster than seeing apathy around them, right? Seeing people being allowed to exist that aren't performing well, right? And aren't putting in the effort that have given up, that have checked out, so that's a really important component of this is you set the right expectations, you give all of the enablement and all of the empowerment and all of the coaching and help that the employee t- and the teams need, but then you're going to hold them accountable on the, the backside of that too, right? To make sure that, okay, if we're, if we're setting the expectation, we're helping you do what you need to do, we're, we're giving you the resources you need to be successful, at that point, the rest of it is on, on you to ultimately deliver what we need delivered. Uh, and I think that that to me is kind of the underpinnings of this culture of accountability is that, again, it's not just you're sitting there with the stick, right? The stick doesn't work because, again, we just talked about employees can pick up and go somewhere else, right? They can work for any company in the world from anywhere they live. And it needs to be around pulling them in, making them feel a part of the team, because to me, the not wanting to let your team down is much more powerful than any stick or any uh, motivator that a, a manager or a leader can use, right? Being in the trenches with your team is something that's really powerful. And getting and starting to tap into that kind of way of thinking and, and kind of what what gets them moving is going to be the most powerful piece of that, right? And that's something that I certainly don't have all the answers on. Um, we've, we've made great strides with it at White Hat. I think there, there's always more to learn there. There's always more to do. There's new ways of thinking. There's new ways to adapt. And, and that's a piece of this is being willing to adapt and, and change your way of thinking when, when you identify it's something that works better. Yeah. And it's part of the startup life as well, isn't it? Um, learning totally. how to build the culture and because it's, uh, yeah. it's more once the I mean once the business starts growing as well and attracting the right people and is critical and I'm, I'm reading yeah. a, well I've just read yeah, the hard thing about hard things as well about um, the the book of with Opsware and he talks about the cultural side of it and it's about the first eyes are really critical then scaling off the back of that and it gets more difficult as it goes on and then when you get larger it gets maybe somewhat easier if you've got the fundamentals there but um but yeah no it's <laughs> but it's um it's an interesting way to to kind of build a business for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and it's, again, I think as leaders, we also have to realize we've had ingrained in us for so long that everyone is treated the same, right? And that's true from a personal perspective. But when you think about coaching, everyone needs a different style of coaching, right? Some 
some folks need, hey, I need actual help doing what I do day to day. And you try to ramp them up and get them the help that they need. There's others that say, I need you to help remove obstacles and then get out of my way. I'm a hard charger. I'm going to get it done. Just help me move these obstacles. And then even when you start to break that down further, different people need coaching in different aspects of their role, right? So if you're talking about uh, a great developer, a great engineer, they may not need help writing code. What they need help with is learning some of the new languages or learning some of the new tools or or help around where, where do they want to take their career? Do they want to go into leadership? Do they not want to go into leadership? So as you start to look at people, it is kind of this holistic approach of how can I coach them differently for different aspects of their jobs and where do they, where can I add value? And then frankly, where can I just get out of the way and let them do what they do best? Because again, I think it's the, the old uh, Steve Jobs quote, right? We don't hire good people to tell them what to do. We hire good people so they can tell us what to do, right? And that's an important piece of building that culture is where when employees feel like they're bought in and a part of the process and they're heard and they're listened to, that's where the best ideas are going to start to flourish. Yeah, no, exactly. And even feedback on that as well. Um, if, if a company, yep. they don't feel like they can come to their manager or anyone or talk about anything. I mean, I just did a, a podcast on mental health uh, with my with my good friend on the previous one it's about that building a culture where you can feel like you can come to somebody your manager your your colleague or anybody within the organization yep. as well i think that's is critical especially in a world today where everybody's somewhat so separated especially over the past two years so no really really great advice yeah it's it's important to realize that asking for help is not a sign of weakness yeah right and, and being uh being a leader that is willing to admit when you don't know something or you don't have all the answers is also where you start to build the trust with those teams, right? Nobody, nobody knows everything, right? And anyone that says they do <laughs> clearly, clearly is lying. Uh, and I think when employees start to feel like you're being honest with them and you're being transparent with them, you're going to get that exact same thing back. Right. And this is no different than two, two friends talking, right? Like when you realize your friend is asking you for help, you're going to do everything you can to help that person and vice versa. And that's the same type of culture that I think we need to start moving forward. That I think is, is a industry or, or, uh, all of these different companies, I think, are starting to figure that out. But again, I think for a long time, it's been this, oh, I'm not going to show any weakness, right? I'm going to be the uh, tough guy or tough gal, right? And this this is what I do, and I don't need help from anyone. Th <laughs> those days are gone, right? The, the days of, of trying to do it all as a hero I talked about earlier, nobody nobody gets an acquisition done by themselves. Um, that's, that's the same here, right? Nobody is going to be successful without a great team around them. No, no, for sure. For sure. And it's um it's a really interesting topic. And um, yeah, it's really the way you've explained it again is brilliant. And it's uh it's definitely I appreciate all of that. But so I guess yep. one one question, Dave, before we leave today, this is always an interesting question. I haven't asked it to everybody on the podcast. But if you could go back and tell yourself or ask yourself anything when you was an account executive, what would you what would you give yourself? That's a great question. Uh, there's a lot of things I would tell myself. <laughs> um, I, I think the biggest one would be ask for more help early and often, right? As I talked about, I was really blessed with having great mentors and, and people to learn from around me. 
But looking back on it now, there were so many fantastic business operators. There were so many fantastic salespeople and so many fantastic marketing and ops and development and engineering folks that I was surrounded with and I've had the pleasure of working with. I would go back and just spend even more time, right? Try to hone your craft even more, try to learn even more about different pieces of the business. And again, I think it's something that starts to happen naturally as you progress in your career. But man, if I could go back to the the early 20s version of Dave and and be able to uh, to give that advice, that's a really powerful thing, right? Go Go learn more, go have more experiences, right? I mean, one of the things that, that you and I have talked about is living all around the world, right? You picked up and moved and, and learned all these things, right? I think that would be something that if I could do it all over again, I probably would take an international role earlier in my career and start to learn how business is done, how sales is different, because every single region is different, right? The core underpinnings are the same, but everything is slightly different and start to learn that early in my career and just a- ask for more help. Yeah. No, that's yeah. That, there's a there's a lot there. Yeah, no, it's it's great advice because it's always interesting yeah. uh, that question because some people say uh, they go back and do multiple things, but I think yeah, traveling the world, learning learning a lot more. I think it's uh, I mean, even as a younger guy myself, I need to I need to do a lot of things, and um, these questions always yeah. help me as well. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and yeah, I mean, I think it's the the sooner the sooner that folks can realize that. They, they have not seen everything that they have not learned everything that they're going to and and getting those experiences and getting that help and and putting the ego aside and realizing that at the end of the day people truly do want to help other people yeah. I think is a I mean that's a tremendous amount of advice for for if I could go back and give that I mean I think that would be a big one I like to think of myself as a fairly humble guy but I'm sure in my uh, my earlier days I was a little bit more cocky and a little bit of a bigger ego and uh that's that's a big piece of it right you don't know what you don't know so yeah that would be a, a big piece of advice i'd give myself awesome no no really really great advice i'm yeah. gonna take that, take that on board as well but uh but dave honestly it's been an absolute pleasure and i really really do wish you and book crowd a hold of success it sounds like you don't need thank it. you you're doing but uh but it's a, been a pleasure having you on and um yeah maybe in the future when once you've hit the 100 million we'll we'll do another one Awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. No problem. No problem. Thank you very much, Dave. Awesome. See ya. Bye-bye.